Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K. Wimmer. I am your other co-host, Mariah Rose. You are listening to a podcast about the 80s. And if you like what you hear at the end of this episode, please help us out by going to wherever you get your podcast and rate, review, subscribe. Mm -hmm. If you're on iTunes, that really helps us. Give us five stars. Uh, and a review? And a, Sure, if you need to. I don't really care about no, reviews. No, it helps. <laughs> I don't like them. No, tell just, us something five stars funny. Is tell fine us funny. a joke. Okay, as a review. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you could do that. But uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to lasergraves.com for back episodes. But uh, thanks for all the support and mm -hmm. to our, our previous listeners. And if you're a new one... Uh, thanks for joining us this Hi. week. We've got a really fun one for you this week. It's, it's something. It is something indeed. But before we launch into this week's episode, let's discuss any thrift store finds we may have found. Oh, okay. Let's do it. I went to the thrift store once this week and I found a milk glass, which is like that glass that's the color of milk. Mm. Hence the name. Not a uh, glass you put milk in? Nope. Okay. No, 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 no. Milk glass. It's like a mug, but it's got Wyatt Earp. And he's, <laughs> he's, it's like, so it's white glass, but it's in red, like enamel over the top or I don't know, glass paint. And it's Wyatt Earp and he's shooting at some gunslingers. And then it's a sheriff's badge that says Wyatt Earp. That's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Okay. What about you? What did so you there find? was really no like question of who it was. No, it said on the badge, Wyatt Earp. All right, cool. Nder. <laughs> All right, good. Well, that was a good find, especially for this region. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week was great for me. I mentioned it on last week's episode, but, you know, I'd kind of... I just haven't been thrifting as much in town because I'm not finding as much. So I was going to take an out-of-town trip. And I was going through a roundabout way to hit up a bunch of small towns along the mm -hmm. way because uh, fellow collectors know that's where the gold is at. It's not in the cities, but these rural towns that nobody ever looks for this stuff in. Mm -hmm. um, I will tell you, I went to so many thrift stores yes. and I really only found something at maybe two of them. However, those two produced pure gold. So it was really funny. It was like... I, first stop i found two tapes one of them was a really good one i collect a uh, a more obscure distributor called city lights they did dance or die so there's a, a previous episode if you want to go back and listen we did one of their films dance or die which is mm -hmm. definitely a favorite in this household yes they only did like 16 films but they're all really expensive and rare and um i found one for 25 cents and i was really excited so that's a price tag we like yeah for sure it's called emperor of the bronx i haven't watched it yet but it looks pretty awesome it's a ridiculous but name i found that and a couple others at the first stop and i was like all right this is great and then every other town and every other thrift store produced absolutely nothing and i was like 12 thrift stores in hours of driving mm -hmm. really giving up hope and then uh, one of the last stores i stopped in before i was like at my destination i walked in and it was clear nobody had had gone through this before and i just found uh, just a, a stack probably about eight or ten films and they were all really great films couple doubles like shock em dead and stuff mm -hmm. like that which I already traded off. <laughs> but I did find some really cool ones. I found Alien Warrior. 
uh, Ninja Phantom Heroes, Witch Hunter, Manitou. I mean, all kinds of cool stuff that I actually would keep. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were all like 25 cents a piece. So that's good. I only spent six bucks. So no complaints there. Uh, You may argue I spent more on gas, but it was only an hour extra to go that way. So yeah, it was worth it. Well, and you did a good deed and went and checked in on your your mother. Visited her for her birthday. Oh, what a good son. I know, really, like, that bought me the sun points for, like, the next year. Did you remind her that you were the only child that came? <laughs> totally. I was like, well, <laughs> if only my sisters had done this. <laughs> I think you're the favorite anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that was our thrift store finds of the week. Actually, pretty good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you found a cup, and I found some tape. My cup was from the 1950s, and there isn't a chip on it. Do you realize how rare it is for a cup made of glass to survive that long? Yeah, that's true. It is in perfect shape. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this week, we are really bringing a pretty interesting one. Rollerblade from Mm -hmm. 1986. Most definitely a cult classic. This is one that you and I have never seen. No, this was definitely a first timer. I will tell you, I've never even seen it for rent growing up. Like, And mm-hmm. we burned, as we mentioned on this podcast a lot, through the years, we always burned through every, especially horror section, sci-fi section. We'd go through everything possible in every town we lived in, yeah. every store we could find. And I never once have seen this film for rent growing up. So I think this... Might be one we overlooked because it's so sexy that it might have been in those weird, like, the sexy section of the movies that never really piqued our interest. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it would have just been in the normal, like, sci-fi horror. It's a post-apocalyptic film. Sure, but I could see where somebody, like, creepy had it in their hands and they're like, where do I put this? Maybe, I guess. Yeah. This film is one of those cases of... um For all the negatives of being on Instagram, the positives are you get to see tapes in people's collections you never even knew existed. And this is definitely one of those Mm -hmm. where I just saw it come up. Everybody is basically like, how have you not seen this? And then it got even brought to the surface for us with laser graves because we do from time to time get suggestions. Oh, have you guys seen this? You Mm -hmm. should cover this. I mean, that's fine. We we enjoy that. We appreciate it. I will say Rollerblade is probably the number one film that has been suggested to us for a year and a half now that, you know, almost Mm -hmm. 100 episodes. We have gotten this film suggested so many times. Yeah. And even though we're not exclusively, you know, a VHS podcast, we typically only do films from our collection. So it was one of those I was like, well, if I find it on VHS, sure, we'll cover it. But I never owned it. And then um, actually one of our longtime listeners who has helped us out in the past with other movies, our friend Matt, who goes under Kung Fu Radio, had a copy and um, sent it our way. So that is why yeah, we're being thanks. able to do it today. So, Boy, thanks, that's Matt. a treat. It, it really, really was a very generous thing to send. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's how I got my copy, New World copy. And like I said, this is first time watch. So we popped it on and... Oh, Uh, if you can't put this together right now, our taste is already eclectic. We can handle some pretty bizarre. We're both artists, too. So the art house side of things also won't really phase us. So it takes a lot for us to be kind of caught off guard. Yes. And this film within minutes, 
we were totally unprepared for what we were going to experience. Yeah. And it uh, was bonkers. It went <laughs> off the rails. Normally, when we sit down to watch a movie, we like take our notes. Yeah. It's pretty organized, even for crazy movies. And you and I both were just like, put our pencils down and yep. scratched our noggins because this, we didn't know what to do. This is episode 95, and this is the first episode of Laser Graves we ever have sincerely just put our notebooks down and said, I can't even take notes on this. We Let's just, just have to watch. watch it. And then we'll just <laughs> talk about it. So that is what you're getting today, is uh, just our general impressions, as well as the history of this. actually be a pretty informative episode. Pure animal reaction on my part. Totally. <laughs> well... We can't really launch into it without starting with the director, writer-director, who's Donald G. Jackson. Uh, a lot of people know that name who are familiar with uh, low-budget indie horror and especially post-apocalyptic. He's kind of a, a pretty important figure in 80s and 90s uh, independent and low-budget film. We'll get to his real claim to fame in a second, but uh, I thought it would be kind of fun to just talk about him before... We even, you know, talk about the movie in general. Donald G. Jackson was born in 1943, and he's just this dude who grew up loving comic books, you know, and uh, samurai films. Those were his two, like, loves, which mm -hmm. that's not going to come as a surprise. No. Um, but very common with filmmakers of this generation. Yeah. They all grew up on comic books. What I thought was kind of cool about him was he collected comic books, I think he said, starting at age five and never stopped. Like, he collected his entire life. So oh. whoever inherited that estate, what a collection that must I have been. I hope his partner in life is cool with that. That sounds like a lot of crap. Yeah, I'm sure his wife was totally cool with it. Uh, uh, but Is he still alive? No, he died. Okay. But he, he did a feature and then he did what really got him on the map was this uh, documentary that he did called I Like to Hurt People, and I definitely uh, know this film. This, I'm 100% positive, this is in the collections of both uh, the guys at Bad Taste Video and at Super Tat, because it's a documentary on early wrestling from the early oh. 80s, mm -hmm. and that is definitely their cup of tea. So he did this documentary really following the Sheik, who I, I loved. That was the first toy, uh, wrestling toy I ever had, was a rubber... Um, like it didn't move. It wasn't bendable. It was just this giant um, rubber figure. Do you still have that? I do. I had the Sheik. I had uh, Hulk Hogan. And then uh, I had this other guy and I can't remember his name and they're going to kill me right now because they're listening. Hmm. Was this Russian guy who had like a USSR. Oh, the Vlad. <laughs> it was the Vlad for sure. <laughs> Nikolai Vlad was his name. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I had those three. I traded a kid in, in uh, my neighborhood for him. So he did this documentary and it got a lot of attention. And it really gave him enough money to move out to L.A. And he set up shop and got a job right away for Roger Corman, like so many people did, you know, doing camera assistant work and stuff. Mm -hmm. What's important about this for his career is that while working for Roger Corman is when he became friends with a young James Cameron. And oh. so he and James Cameron became they friends. They took some divergent paths. Yeah, well, kind of, because when James Cameron uh, went to start shooting Terminator, he needed some help because he was running out of money and he was unhappy with the way the film was kind of going and looking. 
and called up Donald to come film some of the shots. So he actually shot several scenes in Terminator, cool. including the the one where Arnold like comes into like time travels into the future and stuff. Yeah. So they were friends. They knew each other. He helped him out on Terminator. And he just kind of was part of that Hollywood underground scene. He was also really good friends with Fred Olin Ray, who I'm a fan of. I have several of his films. We need to say we also covered The Terminator, and you should probably go back and listen to it. It's true. This is kind of like one of those... It's like a greatest hits. It is a greatest hits, but I feel like we're starting to become... uh, You know, we're not freshmen podcasters we're anymore too self-referential now. yeah so now we're like oh and by the way that was on this episode and this was on that episode but let's yeah. do it you know i think the next level will be when we refer back to when we last referred back <laughs> <laughs> remember on episode 95 when we referred to episode 17 let's do that okay yeah let's do that for sure <laughs> uh anyway like i said he also became friends with uh, fred olin ray i'll talk about that more later But uh, yeah, he established himself, became a filmmaker. And then before we launch into his next film, following that documentary of Mm -hmm. I Like to Hurt People, he where his real claim to fame and solidified his his role in in Hollywood underground was Hell Comes to Frogtown, which was guess what, guys? A previous episode. Oh, of ours. you should go check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's one of the only episodes I think we've ever done where we didn't like the film we covered. We were both Oof. not fans of that film. No. Which is going to probably shock our listeners, but it just didn't work for me. Well, it was very problematic. Yeah, which I later learned um, we did not, we weren't the only ones with that uh, takeaway from it. Our director also felt that way about it. Oh, that really? Film. Yeah, Good. to some degree. I mean, obviously, not too much because he did a ton of spinoffs but he should um, there were a lot of problems with that film and i'll talk about that at the very end of the episode okay but anyway yes so he did hell comes to frogtown and then um you know a ton of stuff that that went on to do basically sequels of sequels and uh he did two major franchises, the uh, Rollerblade franchise and the hell comes to frogtown franchise that had a ton of spin-offs that weren't really sequels but just the universe of okay. those films and that was that was what he did for the rest Were of his career. Were there comics for both of those? I don't know if it did, but being that he loved comic books that would yeah, be a surprise to me and I. But yes, yeah, so that was uh, Donald G. Jackson. He wrote and directed Rollerblades, so quite the character, wow. honestly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Pretty cool dude. Strange life. So as far as cast though, it's a uh, maybe maybe not as much information out there. <laughs> No, not really, because um, the the characters, Sister Sharon and Marshall, the Marshall, both were from Hell Comes to Frogtown. Sister Sharon played the runaway. Everybody else in this is pretty, like, under the radar. They did some B-movies. I will say that the woman who plays um, Mother Speed, and we'll get to her, uh, she was in Cannibal Hookers. So, oh, yeah. Okay. That's uh, not a surprise. Yeah. Is it hookers or hooker? I think it's plural. But you said you found some bit part? Yeah. I was surprised by this. I, okay. So a ton of um, my information came from an, a really good interview. And if you're a fan of Donald Jackson, I would highly recommend you go read this. It was out of a French magazine called Trash Times, and it was the last official interview he ever did before his death, and it was in 2003. Okay. He actually said this was the best interview and the most complete interview he ever gave. And I would agree. I mean, it's really long and thorough, and he goes into depth about his entire career. But in it, 
is when uh, the guy interviewing him said, you worked with some interesting people on Rollerblade. He says Lisa Marie, who was Tim Burton's wife. I don't see her listed at all, so she might be uncredited. She probably is. She's I could probably see one of the that. babes. Yeah. yeah, there's so many women yes. wandering around It would have made sense that she would have been around there, too. Totally. But the one that I was most surprised by, and then I had to go look up, and sure enough, she's not, like, top billed, even though she's probably the most famous person out of, not probably, is the most famous person out of this cast. She's, you have to scroll a ton to get to her. Mm-hmm was Michelle Bauer, who everybody will know in the horror community as like a scream queen from the 80s. But she had this bit part in this film. So she must have been, you know, just in location and was like, sure, I'll do it. Because she had just wrapped up The Tomb, which was a Fred Olin Ray film. Actually, uh, my friend Grizz just sent it to me. It's sitting right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Grizz. But and it, that's funny because these guys were friends. So she maybe she got introduced to Donald Jackson through Fred or something like that. But yeah, she's uh, Michelle Bauer has a bit part in this Weird. too. Is one of the babes. She's one of the nuns. Yeah, she's one of the like sisters. Just random, yeah. you know, naked sisters. But um, yeah, I we'll was surprised. We'll get there. Don't worry. We'll get there, folks. I was just surprised by that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So nobody else really. I mean, no. It's not worth, I mean, you could go through just like we could and go through and see a few people who did a few things, but it wasn't anything really exciting or surprising. Not worth digging into, I don't think. Yeah. Sorry to offend you if you're one of the actors and you happen to stumble upon this podcast. You did a great podcast. job. We're real proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the development of this film is interesting, too. Okay. What, um, how did that come to be? Well, and in that interview is when he gave a lot of information about that. I really liked that. So as I mentioned earlier, he liked samurai films. Oh, and okay. uh, he also noticed that in L.A. during this time, a lot of really pretty girls just liked to roller skate around. And he thought, you know, it would be interesting to combine uh, roller skating babes with uh, samurai films. Okay. And that is literally, it is just does not get more complicated than that, people. You can it tell, is. though, when you watch this movie, you can tell that it wasn't more complicated than that. Roller blade are two separate words, and here is why. Roller is because that everybody apparently in the future, post-apocalyptic, uh, second dark age, it's easier to roller skate everywhere, not just walk. We'll talk about that a bit more. <laughs> That's where roller comes from. Blade is because everybody's a fighter and they have swords and knives and butterfly mostly, knives. Mostly knives. Yeah, a lot of butterfly knives. And so he basically just said, well, here's a roller and here's a blade. This is not a film about roller blading. Okay. Just so that's clear. Let me interject here because I was like, did roller blades exist? And you actually didn't think they existed. So I, I looked was up, unclear. I looked up the history of roller blading. Just to oh nice, just to oh, get down. Oh, laser graves coming in strong this Not, week. <laughs> well, I'm keeping it pretty brief because, quite frankly, it's boring. But, well, was it 80s? Well, yes and no. Because we could do this like as a mini episode. No. Okay. Trust me, no. You're gonna do it all right now. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's gonna be like one minute. <laughs> okay. So, in the 18th century, a Dutchman actually invented the roller blade before. The roller skate. He put some, like, nails through a circle and put it on a skate. Yeah, that's pretty smart. Uh, It's weird. It's Dutch. I don't know. Um, But whatever. It did not catch on. In the 19th century, roller skating was invented. FYI. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, of course, it was Minnesota. (laughs) It was ice skating. Some hockey brothers didn't want their season to end. So... 
Game on! Game on! Minnesota has, <laughs> what, like 13 days where it's not snowing a year? And they're like, that's not enough. We need more days. <laughs> totally. So that we can we can ice skate every single day. So they invented inline skates, or they like created roller blades. When was this? So in 1980, these brothers from Minnesota started ah. it, and then in '83 they began rollerblade ink. So they kind of made it for themselves. When did they become mass produced? Well, because that seems like a '90s thing when they were like really caught on. Yes and no. So 1983, they started Rollerblade Inc. And there were like some problems with production, like design flaws and stuff. And lots of buying and selling and stuff. But eventually in 89 is when they really like nailed down the design that we all know and love. I don't love rollerblades, but I will say... Wait, have you rollerbladed? No, I've never... I was a skater, not a... Okay. Rollerblader. Those, those are two worlds that do not mix well. Those are uh, oil and water. Um, but I will say that when I was a kid, so I do, I, I it wasn't 90s, it was 80s, because in the late 80s, I would go to our little town had a roller skating rink and we would go and, you know, roller skate, roller skate and be cool. And there were always that one dude who had rollerblades and it was like crazy. Why is roller skating cooler than rollerblading? Roller skaters have, they're more fun and groovy. It's because it's retro. It's like 70s okay. cool, whereas rollerbladers are all, oh, sorry. I feel like we're going to offend a lot but of wait, like, people. because now <laughs> 90s a, is retro. There's a so. thing, there's a, a certain je ne sais quoi about uh, <laughs> rollerbladers that does not, I don't know. Uh, they, do you want to ask me if I've rollerbladed? I feel like you definitely have. So in the 90s, when I was 11, uh-huh. so very early 90s, my grandmother got super into rollerblading. Yep. And I, I'm i a giant tall person, so I had real big feet as a very little girl, and she made me roller rollerblade in her rollerblades. <laughs> cool. And my parents thought I was into it and bought me rollerblades. <laughs> But <laughs> were they like neon green? They were black, but they had like hot pink and green. Cool. But we lived in a town with like no sidewalks, so I never used them. Oh. Okay, that's all. Okay, well, um, so that's your history of rollerblading. Yep. I was actually interested to know that, especially because in the interview, okay, I'm not going to fault him on this because this is just how old people are. But when you were famous, when one was famous pre-internet. Mm-hmm. They often assumed nobody else had known about something or done something. But it was true that nobody did. But they made broad pl- proclamations like bands. There would be a band named like, you know, uh, Deathblade in every single town because mm-hmm. nobody had Facebook to go. Oh, every town has a band named that. And oh, so is there a band named Deathblade? If there's not, we disclaimed it. Trademark. Back off. Uh, but... You know, that was just kind of these gullible, innocent times of pre-internet where you just assumed nobody had done it. And in that interview, this is 2003, he's like, I always wondered, (laughs) Donald, as an old man reflecting, if when my movie came out, that's where they got the idea for the name Rollerblading. Uh, And I was like, oh, you're such an old guy. (laughs) No. Rollerblade Inc. was developed in 1983. Okay. That's going to come up again where uh, people assume something hadn't happened yet with Mm -hmm. this film. And it definitely had already happened. We'll get to that later. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't popularized, but definitely. So that 
It's not a rollerblading film. That's basically what we were getting no, at. No, it's roller skates and knives. Yes, that's which is way cooler. Yes, why didn't he call it roller skates and knives? <laughs> well, why did he call it skate or die? They say that constantly. Yeah. That's pretty funny, too. Also, Somebody wrote that in one of my yearbooks. Oh, really? Skate yeah. or die? is probably yeah. me. No, it wasn't. <laughs> okay. Um, also, if anybody is into this type of film, a great double feature I would recommend, which will be a future episode, is Shredder Orpheus, another obscure 80s skateboarding. They kind of would go really great hand in hand. Very obscure. Ah, double feature. Yeah, like art house double feature film. Okay. Are we calling Rollerblade art house? It, um, I kind of would. Because he's just out there. Like It does feel like a psychedelic nightmare. Yeah. Okay. I would kind of say it's a little artsy. Um, But this was filmed on 16 millimeter. He shot it all himself. I think he had ambitions like everybody did to blow it up to 35 and of course couldn't. Mm -hmm. But it was shot on 16. And this is probably the most amazing part is he had no financial support. He paid for this entire film on credit cards and made the entire movie. And this is kind of shocking for $5,000. It's not that shocking. No, it is, though. If he knew a seamstress... It's still like a full feature. He had... Two locations. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. Two locations and maybe what, like man? some alleyways. Eventually got picked up by New World and we'll talk about that at the end. Okay. But, um, so he was he was a man with a vision. Yeah. <laughs> so the film is set in uh, post-apocalyptic Southern California. Yeah. At the very, very beginning, they don't leave anything to the imagination. They talk about it being the second dark age and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's very, like, crammed down your throat so that we know we are in a post-apocalyptic world. Yes, absolutely. So there's no electricity in the sense that we know. But there, (laughs) there's a, a fight of good versus evil. So the good is a cosmic order of divine sisterhood. Yeah, I think that's right. (laughs) And it's led by a, it's like a bunch of nuns, but they wear these red, what look like uh, KKK robes. They totally look like like, clans robes. Yeah. yeah. But they're red. Problematic. (laughs) And, but that's all. It's just the hood. But the face is cut out, so it's not covered. You see their beautiful 80s 80s mugs. Although the face okay you see the face the hood is pointy Mm -hmm. but what i love is that they have like harley davidson patches over their forehead Mm -hmm. and then like an iron cross underneath and below that's that's like the uniform yes and then they just wear underpants (laughs) and thongs under that yeah that's what i mean by underpants is that what you call thongs underpants thong 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 i don't know (laughs) it's an interesting outfit it's, um, I think it's effective. And I think it oh, works, honestly. We forgot to mention roller skates. Everybody has roller skates on in this film. That is one thing they really stick to. Yes. And then this clan uh, or this group of nuns, they're. <laughs> clan of nuns, you're already slipping. I know. This group of <laughs> nuns, they are our characters for good. They are helping to bring peace, harmony, joy, and love. They have a religion, they have some magic powers. We'll get to that momentarily. <laughs> And they're trying to restore order and bring joy and hope to the future of the Second Dark Age. Like, lead people out of the Second Dark Age. Because there is a bad guy who is trying to rule all of the wasteland. I guess. So, how big is this wasteland? Because it seriously seems like it's maybe two blocks. It totally does seem like it's two blocks. (laughs) So, his name is... 
two things here. Dr. Sadikoy. Okay. We don't meet him until like halfway through the movie. What do you think he got his PhD in? <laughs> Just curious. Oh, you know what I'm going to go with? Ventriloquism. Oh. Oh. So, Dr. Sadikoy we meet later, but he has a little, um, it's a little unclear what's happening. So, there's a hand puppet. But it's not a hand puppet at first. It's it's like a mutant at first. It looks like a foam-faced elf. And it does this, look like an elf. Yes. <laughs> Good one. And this foam-faced elf talks into a microphone to, I don't even know who he's talking to, do you? Because there's like always maybe one person listening, but it's over a, like a megaphone. He reminded me of like a Ninja Turtles episode. And he is quite a mix. So he uses a hand puppet over his hand to talk, and his hand puppet is wearing a mini outfit of... Dr. Sadakoy's outfit. And you and I were very confused, even till the end, if this hand puppet was alive and attached to him or it if totally he was, was alive. No. Okay. This is what's confusing is that at the beginning of the film, when you first see it, you don't realize it's a hand puppet. They really do keep that as a reveal. I, I and mean, then, you realize it's a hand puppet, but you don't realize that they mean for it to be hand No, yeah. Puppet. You just think it's like really bad effects for this character. Uh-huh. Then when you get revealed that it is attached to this other person's hand, you're like, oh, he has a puppet and he's doing ventriloquism. But then at the end of the movie, it is severed from his hand and it is clearly talking and moving around independent of him. And they talk at the same time. Right. So it is not a puppet. It's like a a coexisting creature that was attached to his hand. Like a mutant, like a brother that was... I don't know. I loved every bit of this. Also, he has silver hands. None of this is explained at any point. Silver baby doll hands. (laughs) That's so cool. So, Dr. Sadikoy, he's like the evil villain who's in charge of this realm, he and his hand puppet. And I think that his minion are mostly the spikers, which are just some punks, and they skateboard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They got some pretty sweet moves. Though. And they're spikers because they've got spiked hair. Yeah, I saw a Christian Hisoy skateboard, a Vision Streetwear one. I mean, this was like prime time. A 86. This is when street skating was, was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And they got the moves, but they are classic street punks to the max. Yeah. It's pretty cool. They are cool. They're cool. I would have wanted to hang out with them. I would have too. Um, <laughs> Even though they're like beating up nuns. Okay. <laughs> So, Dr. Sadakoy is the nemesis of the nuns. I don't think the nuns really care about him or what he's doing. But he wants, he wants what the nuns have got. Yeah. So, these nuns, in their religion, they have a weird power source that's never explained, so don't worry about it. But it's part of their religion. But it's not the uh, light bulb that has a smiley face taped on it, is it? Kind of. Okay, because I thought there was like a crystal too. It's a crystal, but it's, I think, also linked to this. It's So their god, I think, is a smiley face. And well, yes, for sure. Because every time they do any healing or special powers, we get like a Walmart logo smiley face, like a bright blue one or a purple one, mm-hmm. superimposed over the film. It's like a straight emoji situation. It is so cool. And Dr. Sadakoy, he has his, his like anti smiley face is a smirk. Yeah. It's like a, it's very emoji. I feel like they kind of owe this 
film some royalties, I honestly. Think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he wants their power source. Let's cut to there's a, an Uber babe. She's got <laughs> a super tight pair of underwear pulled right up her butt crack, a t shirt. Yeah, it's up there. She's got her roller skates and she's skating down a guy and cuts his throat. It doesn't matter why. The scene, I, we'll probably put this scene on our Instagram because it's pretty awesome. It's bonkers. <laughs> and we learned she's a fighter. Uh huh. And we learned she's going to do her own thing. She's marching to the beat of her own drum. And we also learned there's a void at the edge of the wasteland during this whole scene, which is, I don't know, kind of important. I liked this character a lot. I thought she was pretty cool. Lee. She's very complex. Yeah, but she's pretty cool. Like, she is. I, I like the characters in general in this film. I thought were pretty awesome. Yeah, as we were watching it, you were like, they should all be like uh, dolls or something. Yeah, they definitely should have like figures that are released. Yes, you know, one of these like hipster companies that does a figure for every movie. Why are there? Maybe there are actually, but um, that would be pretty. Why are cool. there not rollerblade figures like little toys? I know that would I, be pretty cool. I don't buy toys very often. The one I still want is a Heather doll from Appointment with Fear. But other than that, <laughs> I would buy some rollerblade dolls uh-huh. for sure. So she chases down somebody, goes back to Doctor Satakoy because her the batteries in her Walkman die. Yeah. So this is really the the impetus for everything that happens. She wants new batteries. So she goes to Dr. Satikoy because I guess he's been her battery dealer. They also deal in ball bearings. Mm-hmm. So their current their currency is battery and ball bearings. Okay. So she goes there and he's like, "Okay, I want you to infiltrate this cosmic sisterhood." get in there as a nun, steal their power source, which is also, I think, their god, and then you and I will rule the wasteland. Tell me, dearest, who has the strongest power source in the world? Hmm? And that's basically the point of the film. That's the plot. There's a lot of fighting, a lot of pretty cool uh, roller skating, and a lot of uh, butterfly knives. But there's another subplot, which is the sheriff? Is that what he is? He's the marshal. So marshal. he's the marshal of the wasteland. He's trying to police. He has a whole backstory about how his wife died and he's raising his son alone. His son does not know how to roller skate. At all. Like, his son, I don't even know. How can you be so bad? I'm a bad roller skater. His son deserved and... to be kidnapped by the punks and sold. It's not that hard to stand up on skates. No, it's really not. But... The dad speaks in this, like, old... No, they all do. The, well, so, yeah, but it's in and out. But the dad, I think, is the worst offender. Okay. Well, maybe not the worst offender, the the actor that kept to it the best. Well, there's speed also. Oh, yeah, true. But his his um phrasing, especially when he's, like, giving his son skating lessons and about how you should never take your skates off, mm-hmm. otherwise, like, doom will happen. Yeah. He's got some pretty cool lines. Hey, Chris, uh, don't cry. Tears will cause thy wheels to rust. Remember what I told thee about balance. There is no up or down, only thyself. Centered, squared, a perfect point in the universe. There is no imbalance unless thou think there is. Now skate, boy, skate. 
this was a very enjoyable dialogue. Yes. And basically, this is all the Marshall offers. He gets in the way and has no purpose for this Yeah, whole he is film. pretty useless in this film. Totally. So our, our lead skate chick, she goes and joins the sisterhood. And her she's renamed, what is it, Hunter? I don't remember what her name is. I didn't I write it down. I don't remember. So she's given a new name by Mother Speed. We should take a moment to say Mother Speed is like the priestess of the sisterhood. She's in a wheelchair. But you can tell she's got she's like... She's probably some, pretty fast. Yeah. yeah she's I kept wheel- waiting for her to pop a wheelie. Yeah, for sure. And she's you can tell she has an edge to her. Mm-hmm. Like she's street smart. Like maybe she's a cannibal hooker. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But whatever. She lets, like, reluctantly lets this woman in to be supervised by Sister Sharon Mm -hmm. from uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown. Yeah. Well, a very bit part. She's not like a She's one of the runaways. Uh, She starts training this new recruit, trying to help her get over her, you know, hangups or whatever from the outside world. Meanwhile, this new recruit is scheming to get access to their power source because she wants new batteries for her Walkman. Yeah. And um, other than that, I mean, there's long scenes that I wouldn't say are boring. Not a lot happens, but they're very entertaining. Like the the battling two sisters are taken in, I guess, (laughs) by bad guys. They're stripped of their like tops. So they've, they've only got thongs on. And roller skates, obviously. Yeah, you have to. And they begin, for no reason, battling each other in the weakest way while another sister is sitting in a shopping cart. (laughs) And gets her throat slit. Yeah. By, like, demons? Are these demons? No, they're just bad guys. Okay. But that's when we find out they have healing abilities, the nuns, because they put the butterfly knife over the neck wound, and then a smiley face appears... And then she is healed. But th- it's not enough. They have to get in the hot tub. Oh, yeah, yeah. And That's right. topless in a hot tub. Where I wondered, were there skates on? This is like uh, where the universe collides with like an Andy Sedaris film. Because it's like, you know what would make this film better? A hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... I don't know. This film, there was so much happening and so much not happening simultaneously. It It was was weird. Kind of amazing and mesmerizing. It was, because there was like a rhythm to the chaos. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, what's happening? Am I hallucinating? You just enter this realm of beyond belief. You're like, can I... Am I seeing what I'm seeing? Did somebody commit this to film? (laughs) This film is kind of like... You know when you meet... Either you meet somebody in real life or you hear an interview with an eccentric person who has a very non-linear way of relaying information. Mm, I might be one of those. Yeah, I think we both are kind of... Mm -hmm. I mean, we try our hardest on here, but in real life... Non-linear. But when you meet people like that or you hear interviews with people like that, you tend to spend the first 10 to 15 minutes of that conversation confused and trying to figure out what they're even talking about but then you find this rhythm where you're like oh okay i get how they communicate what they're saying you know who's like that uh richard stanley who did um color out of space recently he's the one that got fired from the island of dr moreau oh yeah yeah uh, hardware all mm-hmm. that 
He is a very interesting character. And if you ever listen to interviews with him, you spend oh, yeah. the first 10 to... Yeah, I made you listen to one one yeah, time. Yeah. You spend the first like 10 minutes totally confused as to what he's even trying to convey. It's chaotic. But then once you figure out his rhythm, you go back and you re-listen and you're, he makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I think this film is very much like that, where we were so confused because we couldn't figure out the rhythm or the pacing or the language of this film. But once we did, probably 15 minutes in, it became a much more um, normal film, if that even kind of makes sense. We were laughing nonstop. Yeah, but it wasn't as chaotic as it was when it first started, where we were like hands in the air, confused as to what he, what's, what's even going on. I feel like it's... You you jump into the deep end with yeah. this. It's like cold water shock <laughs> over your head, and then you just settle in. So the the whole gist of the film is this chick goes in, she steals the power source, and then is basically filled with regret. Yeah, she's she like, like comes around. Actually, at the end. they're not so bad. That sucks. And Doctor Satakoy stole the Marshal's son. No, that's pretty funny. <laughs> There's this whole subgroup of, like, thugs that work for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. One is this guy who says Mon a lot. Oh, hey, Mon. Yeah. I'm going to steal the kid, Mon. But he's got no accent other than the fact that he says Mon. And this entire film is overdubbed, basically. So Oh, it's so strange. Really funny. I was telling you about a film you haven't seen called Zombie 90, but... I love that film because of the overdub, because it's just like one guy making funny voices for every character. Like, hey, let's get in the car. What are we doing now? <laughs> it's not this bad, but it is like any film that is just 100% overdubbed is always very enjoyable. This is hugely overdubbed. Yeah. So this one did kind of add to the fun of it all. Did they just not have sound recording equipment? Very possible. It was okay. shot on 16 millimeter for $5,000. They yeah. probably were like, you know what? We're going to just have to go back in and add it. Yeah. Later. That's it was, totally understandable. It was odd. But once you go, okay, I guess this is what's happening. You just accept it and move on. Yeah. But they overcome, you know, they, this, this power source gets stolen and then they defeat the bad guy. They cut off his hand, like we said, and it's... It's all very enjoyable, but that's the gist of the film, and it's really fun. And I think that um, I wasn't prepared for it. I knew just the buildup of people saying, you have to see this, you'd love it. Yes. I knew I was in for something interesting, but we talk about this. This happens rarely. The last time this happened for you in a major way was our Night of the Demons episode, where you had not seen it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how... How did it was a treat? It was such a treat, and yeah. I feel like Rollerblade for us. Ugh. What a treat that we yeah. had not seen this! So great, so exciting to see a film like this because we watch a ton of movies all the time, and they're always like, "Yeah, that was pretty cool," but mm -hmm. not usually to the caliber of like, "This is one that I will never get rid of, and we will watch." Time and time again, yeah. because it's just so much fun. So I think that was really a pleasant surprise. Right. Just how much fun this film was. It did leave me with a lot of questions. Okay. First of all, what caused the apocalypse or the second dark age? Never explained. Um, and I, I have kind of an answer for you. Okay. Why are all of his films post-apocalyptic? And the reason being, they, he was asked that. And uh, he, they asked him... 
so you're like a huge fan of all the Italian cinema after Mad Max, all the ripoffs and stuff that were coming out of post-apocalyptic. And he flat out was like, I don't like any of those films. Not really my thing. And they were, I think nobody was ready for that yeah. answer. And they said, well, why? And his uh, explanation was, and this is really smart as an independent filmmaker. He said he found that post-apocalyptic settings provided yeah. him the most artistic uh, opportunity to not be confined to reality. like I don't think that was his struggle for him. No, but it's so true. Is the second you establish it's post-apocalyptic, locations, costumes, sure. nothing has to make sense. It can be anything and everything. Yeah, you can just go to like a garbage pit and be like, this is our setting, I, it's go. brilliant. And it's really smart if you're like a, an a independent filmmaker with no money because then you don't have to worry about like, oh, no, this film would look this way and it would have to be this way. You can just shoot anything. You can put a pot on somebody's head and it's like, yeah, that works because That's this is helmet. in the future. Duh. Yeah, this totally makes sense. And so that I think that is 100% why yeah, it's definitely this was in the future. Financially freeing. <laughs> it was just totally like... Because you can use garbage. No rules whatsoever. <laughs> Totally. You can say, I'm going to, I have a surplus of Harley emblems. We'll just sew them to well, some Those hoods. will be your, like, mother speed emblems now. Also, I think the most glaring question is, why did everybody have to be on wheels? And the, the wheels are roller skates or skateboards or shopping carts. And in that setting... All of the concrete in the whole, like, uh, film was very broken up. And, and it's, like, rough and choppy rough with and choppy or just sand. Like, so it seems like the most useless mode of transportation. Yes. Also, we see all of these characters. I mean, there are long scenes of them skating, and they're all, like, good job. You guys can skate. Oh, the one chick that puts the, like... Balances on one foot, squatting with her legs sticking out to the side while holding Well, she holding sticks a, it, like, across the front of her. While holding a knife? Yeah. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Cool moves. I could see basing a movie around that, so yeah, maybe that's like, what happened. I got the shot, write a film. <laughs> he was at the roller arena. He saw some chick do that. He's like, it'd be so cool. If that's she had probably how he sold this to New World, was he just showed him that opening scene of her coming over the hill with a blade, yeah. and they're like, uh, yeah, we don't need to see any more. Yeah. Because... If you had seen more, you would see that he also has them climbing ladders with roller skates on. <laughs> like, a long time. They never stop and are like, this would be so much easier on bare feet. And there's really uh, quite the variety of actors who can do little spins and loop-de-loos and other ones who clearly have never been on skates in their lives. No. Also, why were there no bikes? I don't, it just, that's Turbo Kid. That's not Rollerblade. Well, Turbo Kid was like a decade or I know, two I'm decades just saying, later. It's a different universe. <sighs> but it's okay. No wagons. Like, why not a wagon? Put your kid in a wagon. Okay. You heard it here first. How many times this did it just to, say wagon? How to improve it. <laughs> well, this film was pretty interesting, actually, because the what came of it was kind of. Uh, amazing honestly okay. and this is how he got his career was he made this ridiculous film for five grand mm -hmm. so i don't know the story of how new world picked this up like okay how in the world they thought yes let's put money behind this somebody though took a chance and i'm so thankful they did yeah they gave him a little extra money finished it off and really to put into promotion 
And uh, when it came out, it did not get a theatrical run. This was straight to video. Of course it did not. <laughs> it made over a million dollars. I'm dead serious. In sales and rentals. <laughs> like, instantly. Is that not insane? It is so bonkers to think about some 80s mom or dad going to the video store and being like, this looks interesting. It does, though. The cover is so good. Imagine sitting down to watch that with your kids. Oh, just the opening scene alone. I'd be like, what, the f- what did we just rent? But you'd already been duped. You already paid your you yeah. know, 50 cents. So yeah, it made over a million dollars. We'll talk about what that did for him in just a second. But I do have to rein it in. Because I, back. I have an issue, and that is New World, who was not a, this wasn't a major powerhouse distributor, but it was no. definitely putting out things like House and stuff, yeah. you know, Hellraiser 2, Mid-level. stuff like that. Yeah. They should have known better than to do this, but this is 1986, and how they were pitching this to people was this was the first ever feature film created for straight to video, and huh. this could not be more wrong. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. However, for somebody who really does love shot on video and direct to video, I, uh, I like cringed when I read that. Okay. I am not going to take our listeners down the dark hole of Don't the history it. of direct to video and shot on video. If you are into that, go listen to our friends at Bad Taste because that is their, that's their thing. But I know enough to be able to immediately off the top of my head tell you that is so wrong, their marketing. I think what happened, and I talked about this earlier with him assuming that he just invented the term rollerblade, is this is pre-internet. So you maybe you didn't uh, know. However, this was not. So if your voice is the loudest, then your voice is the most true. Right. But this was not the very first direct-to-video. Uh, for those of you interested... Real quick, I'll just give you a couple titles, and these are all titles you should actually go and check out because they're fun. Boarding House would be the big one to go to immediately. That was 1982, so it was already years earlier. That did go to video. However, the real claim to fame for that was being shot on video, like one of the first features, if not the very first feature to be shot directly on video, not on film. But it did get a theatrical run, so that wasn't like a direct-to-video. Sledgehammer... The year after in 83, which is a David A. Pryor film. That's the one that I know and love. That was an actual feature. Did not get a theatrical run. Was straight to video. So that was a legit straight to video. And that was already years earlier, hmm. too. There's another one called Copperhead. I've never seen that one. Even though that was straight to video, there's a distinction in that was totally intended to be blown up to 35 and given a theatrical run, but didn't get it. So they were like, well, I guess this is going straight to video. But the intent wasn't there. Okay. And then what's funny is now years later in 85, Blood Cult comes out. And this is the one everybody goes to as like, yeah, this is the very first, you know, shot on video, straight to video. And it's not. There already had been several films out. Why is that a big deal? I, just because it's a big claim to fame. I mean, this is a, a major step in home video and creating a film to go straight to video, not to get a theatrical run, like cutting out the middleman. So that wasn't happening in the 70s? No, not at all. Not like this. Okay. And so, but what's interesting is that Blood Cult reminds me of a history of violence where everybody is like a history of violence. That Cronenberg film was the mm-hmm. last film made on VHS yeah, yeah. and it couldn't be more wrong. However... 
once the, like you said, the loudest voice kind of gets to write history. Mm -hmm. But all these films had already come out, and now we're in 86, and Rollerblade comes out, and New World's like, guess what, guys? The very first time a movie's ever been made straight to video. But you know if somebody like called them on it, they could be like, yeah, at, at, with us. That's yeah, what exactly. Meant. That's what we meant. Yeah. But it made a million bucks, and because of that success is why New World uh, gave them money to make Hell Comes to Frogtown, and the rest is history, because th that was a major film that okay. had its problems. Like I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode is he actually intended on... Uh, our lead from this film, Rollerblade, being the lead in Frogtown, and another guy from Rollerblade being uh, the lead. And the studio stepped in and they were like, we got real money. We're shooting this on real film. And uh, no, we're bringing in Roddy Piper. He's a big shot and mm -hmm. all these other people. And as a big studio does. Oh, he wanted Hutchison to play? No, I don't think he wanted Hutchison. I think he wanted another guy from the film. But he had basically two people from... Yeah, Hutchison is in Hell Comes to Frogtown as a role. Yeah, but this that's not who he wanted. Oh, okay. I don't think. I could be wrong. Um, he, he looks kind of like him, so I was wondering. Maybe, maybe that is. I just I didn't even do that research. But okay. basically, he had two people from Rollerblade who were his go-tos that were like going to be the leads uh -huh. for Hell Comes to Frogtown. And then when real money got on the line, sure. the studio did what they did. And they were like, nope, actually, this is going to be the lead. That's what all studios So even do. though that gave him real success, I think still to the day he died had some major resentment because he was a huge wrestling fan, obviously, doing the documentary. And he was a Roddy Piper fan. But he was like, that's never who I wanted to be in the film. That's who I got forced to be in the film. But because Rollerblade became a cult classic and he knew it, he, you know, kind of went all uh -huh. in on it. And several Rollerblade universe-esque films were produced yeah. over the years. Um, Rollerblade Warriors in 89, Rollerblade 7 in 91, which is the big one. And then Legend of Rollerblade 7 and 92 returned to the Rollerblade 7 and 93. And then Roller Gator in 96. Yes. As well as uh, the Frogtown franchise also mm -hmm. had a bunch of spinoffs. But, mm -hmm. you know, good for him. And he made a ton of movies. Yeah. The, th the thing, the last thing I want to mention about Donald, which is really fascinating, is, and you'll like this a lot, is after Rollerblade... After I actually after Frogtown, I think this is a direct result of the studio taking over. Mm -hmm. He developed with his partner, like a, a creative partner of his, a thing called Zen filmmaking. Okay. And this is my fun fact of the week. Ooh. <laughs> Zen filmmaking is this notion that he developed of no script. And basically, it's not yes! not improv. He was very clear about that. It is that they are given kind of, which is totally improv. He's just totally bullshitting at this point. Yes. But they're given like a guide, and then he lets the film create itself. Oh, and I, I love love, it. love everything about this. Let's do that this weekend. I know. I just I think this is, and he. He recognized that his first couple films, well, not the documentary, but the first two, Rollerblade and the other one, I'm forgetting the, the it off the top of my head, but he, those two were more kind of artsy, and he felt like with Hell Comes to Frogtown, he lost that. Oh, for and sure. And so he wanted to go back to that. So Zen filmmaking was also about cinematography and music, being yes. able to just 
spur of the moment, whatever comes to you in the universe. Well, <laughs> maybe he didn't give the best example, but I love the idea. I love the idea, too. So I am all in with Zen filmmaking. I want to do it. I think it's a... I mean, I don't love its title, but whatever. It's great. It's great. So, and that's really, uh, that got associated with the rest of his film for the rest of his career was like, yes. yep, he's that dude that does Zen filmmaking. So. Cool. Yeah. But that is Donald G. Jackson and the um, amazing film Rollerblade. Wow. Laser Graves approved. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Loved every bit of it. And I'm so happy we have it. Um, thanks, Matt, for getting that to us. If you've not seen this and you're a fan of low-budget, just post-apocalyptic sci-fi nonsense, this is a must-watch. Yeah. It's weird. It's delightful. <laughs> yeah. So you should there, love it. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, if you liked what you heard, like I said at the beginning, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever else. Uh, tell a friend about us. Spread the word. We are anywhere and everywhere you get your podcasts or at lasergraves.com where you can check out other episodes we've done. If you want to follow us, we're on Instagram at lasergraves and our personal sites on Instagram. I'm at death at 33 RPM. I'm at Mariah Rose Wimmer. And thanks so much for tuning in. Maybe do Golden Child next week. Probably. We'll, we'll see. Hey, we gave you Warlock. So yeah. We're not Settle all down. like smoke and mirrors over here. We're give you a little bit here and there yeah so take it take okay. it or leave it go do something weird all right go make a zen film or whatever <laughs> paint your toilet blue bye, bye. <laughs>